What is up, guys, and welcome to the Meeple Monday podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. How are you doing this week, James? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Good, good. Since I didn't actually ask you, you know, all that much last week, how, how have you been the past two weeks? Have you been up to much? Work. Work, work was a fun day today. Oh, was it? Well, yes. What happened at work? Um, tire blew out on the van. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Driving like an idiot, were you? No. Okay. <laughs> shoddy maintenance oh oh dear well let's, let's just hope your bosses don't listen to this you know i doubt it but still i i don't have that luxury i know at least one of my colleagues listens to this and uh, they do happen to be part of the management team so hi james uh, of course the company i work for are absolutely awesome they 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 treat me really really well in every single way and is is that enough to get me a promotion do you reckon <laughs> You need to lay it on thicker than that, mate. <laughs> oh, I think we do. I think I do. What have we been up to this week, James? Have been playing many games? Oh, we played a few games, haven't we? We have, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll say two weeks because we didn't really talk about it last week, did we? Got you playing your first game of Cora Quest as well, didn't we? How yes. did you find that? Uh, I I did enjoy it, even if we did get round resoundingly beaten by a child's game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I can't help but think that we were probably making it too difficult on ourselves and... Focusing too much on our really, really bad acting voices. Yep. Uh, <laughs> of the various goblins and, and ghouls in the game. Uh, but it was good fun. There, yes. was, there was lots of laughter, lots of fun to be had in there. I've played it again since and we actually succeeded uh, a little bit better than we did when we played. <laughs> so I will make sure you get another play of that very soon. Excellent. But yes, obviously a bit later on in the podcast, we will have Paul here to do our... Weekly news, Kickstarters, or, or crowdfunding, sorry, James. <laughs> so difficult to remember. You have to say crowdfunding. You've got GameFound now, which is a thing, and it's not just Kickstarter, but it, you, when you assimilate it, don't you? Yep. You assimilate it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he will be here doing your lo- our local events and crowdfunding and news, but we are here to talk about Azul, aren't we? We are. Now, we've talked about Azul before, so this is a different version of Azul. This is uh, the Stained Glass of Sintra. How did you like this game? Uh, well, not to put too much of a like, foreshadowing on this, but I loved it. Good, good. <laughs> we actually had a, a very quick game of this before we uh, before we went on the air today. We did, we did. Um, a little two-player. Yep, so we've. Uh, I think that's the first time you've played it two-player, isn't it? Uh, yeah, because we, we normally play it at the club like full with the full, full player. Full player. Yeah, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll get into how well the uh, the game plays at, at those yep. different player counts, but uh, I think we should get into our game highlight. Indeed. So, okay, so Azul Stained Glass of Sintra is an abstract strategy game released by Next Move Games back in 2018. The game is for two to four players aged 8 and up, and plays in about 30 to 45 minutes. In the game, players are challenged to carefully select glass panes to complete their windows while being careful not to damage or waste the very valuable supplies. The window panels are double-sided, providing players with a dynamic player board that changes throughout the game. In this version, players can expect to discover new unique art and components compared to the original Azul, including translucent window pane panels, a tower to hold the discarded glass panes, a double-sided player board and window pane panels, in addition to many other beautiful components. James, 
Tell us what comes in the box when you buy Azul stained glass of Sintra. Okay, Jason. Contained within the box, we have nine factory displays, four palace boards, 32 pattern stripes, four glaziers, eight markers, 100 pain pieces, one scoring board, one starting player tile, one glass tower, one bag, and one rule book. Very, very nice. Now, obviously, this is another Azul game, so we are talking about a very affordable game. Uh, can't remember what the RRP is on this, but at the time of recording, you can pick this game up from anywhere between 30 and 40 pounds. So, yeah, let's talk about the components in this one, James, because obviously, when we spoke about the original, the you know, the, o- the OG of the Azul games, we were quite high praise on some of the components and not so high on the others the, including the the player boards the player boards were the big uh contention weren't they they were indeed so let's dive into to talking about the components for this one how how do you feel do you, do you um, think things are a bit a bit better on this one yeah i think they've made things simpler is that because in the original was all you had the the player board is quite large which led it to warp mm. in this it's in like um modular sections which yeah. makes them smaller so the the punch board is less likely to warp so i quite like i like that aspect of it mm. uh, and you know we've had your copy out quite a few times doesn't seem to be any significant warpage to any of the the boards um the scoreboard is still a bit it is effectively the same scoreboard from the the first one's made of the same material it's nothing to shout about yeah i mean on, on the scoreboard side of it i'd actually say that that's slightly worse in this one um because in the original one from what i remember it was the same punch board as as the player boards whereas in this it is literally it's card stock yeah so it's very very flimsy and you know it sort of leads me on because something you do get in this box that you didn't get in the original is that sort of decorative tower where you put the used tiles yeah now i mean while it's nice to have that I don't feel like it was necessity. Mm. If anything, I would rather have had a sturdier board, a sturdier uh, points board, and just negate having that. Yeah, that little thing, and because there was nothing wrong with putting the the spare pieces in the the top of the box with the original game. But yeah, I also do understand why they might want it in there, but it also affects the uh, the usability of the uh, the box insert on this as well because it takes up a substantial amount of space. Yeah um and when it's in there you don't really have anywhere to put the tiles because if you put the tiles in the tower and put it back in the box they immediately fall out of the tower yep so you kind of have to use the space that's designed for it to put the bag in and then you've got to then collapse down the tower to put it in the box and if you're building and deconstructing that tower it's made of card yeah it's gonna go eventually so yep yeah it might maybe a little niggle to some people but yeah i would much rather have had a much better quality scoreboard than have a gimmick tower but unfortunately i've i know i've played the the summer pavilion game which is the next one that also comes with a tower Mm. so this appears to be the new mo for for what they're doing with the game but yeah yeah the tiles in this game, or the, the the glass pieces. I mean, yeah. obviously they're not actual glass in this. Yeah, no, but they're they're the the eye catching bit of this game because mm, they do look very very nice. They do, they do. Uh, very nice, sort of. I th- I can't remember if they're still resin, whether they're just like a translucent resin or whether they're plastic in this one. I know in the original they were resin, but they're yeah, they are translucent coloured. They basically look like little glass panels, like you would see in like a an old British church or something yep. like that, you know, with the 
really nice decorative glass. And that's what you're doing here is you are essentially making those stained those glass. Windows yeah, stained glass stuff. windows. But yeah, <laughs> they are the standout in this game. I, I would agree with you on that, James. Yep. Anything else that really stood out to you that was like, oh my God, yeah, that's really good or oh my God, it's really bad? No, I mean, um, the factory tiles are exactly the same pretty yep. much from... Yep. Um, in the what they were in the original as all although special mention i can't remember if the original as all had it but if you flip over the factory tiles they also have the segmented uh spot for people who have trouble seeing colors which is that definite hats off for that addition yeah i I would say that that is a very very good thing and i'm glad that you brought that out um yeah so the opposite side of the factories you could there are actually spaces where you can put those tiles so it's a lot easier to see at a glance yeah so yeah really happy with that that's yep. good uh the first player marker is identical mm-hmm. to yep. the one that's in the original is all and the other bit the the like the colored cubes and the glazier they're just standard yeah plastic yeah. mold yeah exactly. Um, again nothing to nothing to shout about and functional do their job yeah exactly i, I think oh uh, you know as a summing up really for the components they're, they're they're of average quality what you would expect in a game of this uh yeah. this price range the glass pieces we, we call them glass pieces even though they're not glass the glass pieces are the standout yeah. i think they're very very nice very much like the original the woven bag that comes with it as well that's really really nice has nice artwork on it yeah. same things that stood out in the first one they're standing out in this one as well mm. so what about the gameplay james how do you think this one plays in comparison to the first I prefer the gameplay in this one because there's a little bit more going on. Mm -hmm. Yep, I would completely agree with that. So for context on this one, while we won't uh, go into super detail of of how to play the game with this one, the drafting mechanic is basically identical. Uh, The the main difference actually comes from when you've already drafted your tiles and it's then coming to your player board. Unlike the last one where you're sort of putting them to the side, ready to tile them on this one, they are going straight into the actual glass panes themselves. And once you complete a pane, you then take one of them off to signify that it's been done. The rest get discarded and you flip that pane over yep. to do the other side. You've got eight panes as your player board and you score points based on which pane you're completing and how many you've completed to the right of it. Yep. So, for example... If you complete the one to the far right, you will get, let's just say, I can't remember exactly what it is, just say you get two points. Whereas you've completed that one previously, and then you complete one that's, say, two down, you would get two points, and then a further two points because you've completed one to its right. So you get four points for completing that. As an additional bonus to that, another way of gaining points is every round you have a bonus colour. And for every bonus color that you tile in that round, you get an additional one point. So there's a lot more ways to get points in this game. Yep. And if you can chain those, you know, you manage to build your your le- furthest left tile with loads chained to its right, there's a lot more points to be gained in this game. Yep. And the end game scoring as well. Indeed, yes. There's end game scoring as well. Ah, but there is a counterbalance to that, isn't there, Jason? There is. The minus pointages. Yes, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm I'm very, very uh, friendly with that minus pointage yes, track. minus pointages. And obviously the minus pointage is very, again, very similar to the original. Anything that you can't tile or that you've taken too many for where you're putting it goes into the minus track. In this one, rather than going into a minus track, it goes straight into the discard tower 
And on the minus track, there is another sort of uh, cube, and it just goes down one for every single one. Yes. And all of them come off at the end of the game, unless... Unless. Unless you are as good as me, and you manage to fill that track, you then immediately take a minus 18 points, and then start the track again. Yes. So, yes, lots of minus points to be had in this game. You also take... um... I, I believe it was the same in the original as all. Well. A minus one for being the person to take the first player marker. Indeed. Um, yes. The big difference in this one is you can also go below zero. Yes. So you can get into the dreaded, oh, what did you score at the end of the game? Minus points. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say that that's incredibly, uh, incredibly difficult to do, if not, if nigh on impossible. But but it is possible. But yeah, it would be possible. <laughs> it's there is more a, a handicap at the start of the. If you mess your first round up, you've yeah. really handicapped yourself because you're clawing your way out of those minus points. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, anything else about the gameplay that stands out to you in this version, James? The glazier. Oh yes, the glazier. Something new. Definitely new. Something new. Probably one of my favourite features of this game. Actually. Yeah. In any particular reason? Because it's, I like games that force you to focus on a lot of things at the same. It's, it's, it's the spinning plate trick, isn't it? You've got to keep all the plates spinning and you take your eye off one thing. And in this, it's usually that glazier. Yeah. And your whole strategy goes to pot. Yeah. So, what is the glazier, Jason? What is the glazier? Okay. So, the idea of the glazier is. When you're drafting your panes from the factories in the middle, you need to place them onto whichever glass that you want to, to, to work on. The glazier has to be above the window that you are currently working on. So, okay, I've just taken four orange uh, glass pieces and I need to move my glazier three to the, to the right so that I'm above that window. I then tile them on there, no problem. We'll skip on to the next turn. I can see that I really want to start working on the far left one again. However, I can't take the glass panes until my glazier is back above that, which means this is where there is an added mechanic of if you don't want to take any glass panes, you have to reset where your glazier is. And that basically means you're passing and you put your glazier back as far left as you possibly can. That then enables you to start working on any of the of the the glass bits again yeah however this is where i i agree with james it's the spinning plates mechanism there's been more than one time where i've completely forgotten and i've gone oh i'll take those tiles those those glass panes and i'll put them oh hang on a minute my glazier is to the right of those those panels which means i cannot now put those glass panes on that You know, we're we're very strict with ourselves here. You yeah. know, once you've touched the the components and you've pulled them back to your board, you have taken you them. have taken them. Therefore, I now need to try and find a way of putting those down on either the one he's currently above or the ones to his right. If I can't do that, they all get smashed, yep. and I start taking more minus points. Yep. The other thing to mention about the glazier is if he is already in the far left position, you cannot reset. Yes. Yes. So. The other reason you've got to keep track of him is, much like the original one, there'll be a pile of the tiles that no one really wants, building mm-hmm. up normally quite a few of a particular colour that no one can really do anything with. Yep. And one of the very last functions on the turn is resetting the glazier. And if you're unlucky enough to be 
not the last person, yeah. effectively the first person, it's much easier to skip over picking those up if you've got a reset there. Yeah. But if you haven't got a reset, you're sitting there going, uh-oh. Oh no, I'm going to have to take those. Yeah. Yeah, because you're seeing everyone Yeah. Everyone's seen the same thing and figured out where where where, where, where they're going to fall in the reset chain. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you you had that uh, on your first play, was it? I yeah. believe you you thought you got very smart in resetting <laughs> and all of us ended up resetting and and of course that meant it fell on you yep. and you ended up having to take five of a single color that you could tile maybe one of. Yep. Four so, on the yeah. minus track. Four on the minus track straight away. I so, mean, it happened to you a couple of times in the two-player game. We just played. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's very easy. To, it's the, the Glacier. Like, this is one of the reasons why it's one of the fav- my favorite mechanics in this version. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. And it, it definitely changes the game up enough yeah. for me that I enjoy playing this game far more than the original. And it's kind of thematic as well because in the original you're tiling a floor well lots of people can tile a floor which is why that mechanic's not there but when in making stained glass mm. the glazier is you effectively there's yes. only one person working on that window yeah, yeah and you can't be above all eight panes at the same time no exactly so i do like that so yeah in summary you get to, you are allowed to paint anything underneath the glazier or to his right obviously if you do anything to his right you have to move your glazier so that you are then above that window. If you want to start painting stuff to his left, you have to spend a turn in resetting him back to the far left and then starting again. Yeah, Really, really good mechanic. I love that. It's definitely a standout for this game. Having played all three of the Azul games at the moment, if I had to pick one that I wanted to play, this is probably the one I would choose. However, while we haven't talked about Summer Pavilion yet, that is also a very, very good game, mm. far more in depth than the original. So we'll we'll talk about that in the future. But for right now, I would say that stained glass is is probably my favourite of the lot. Uh, but yeah, is there any other sort of final final thoughts that you have on this game, James? Who yeah. would you recommend it for? I mean, well, just to, to close off as well. So we've spoken about the glazier. I also really like the dynamic player board, flipping the tiles because yes. you're bored. Yep is changing as you complete them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's not a static board like the original. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. And once you have done each side, they are removed from the game. Yep. So you do your first side, it flips over. Do your second side, it's then removed from the game. So you your choices yep. get less and less throughout the game. So again, that adds to that little complexity of it. So that, yeah, mm. I'd actually forgotten about that. It's a very, very good mechanic to, to bring up there, James. Yep. So yeah, who would you recommend this game for? Uh, this is um, it could be a family game. It's a, a it says eight plus. Uh, I would say due to the complexity of this one, I would actually consider um, upping that a little bit. Yeah, because it, it's got a little bit more to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'd probably go ten. Yeah, on this one, it's not too complex, but I think eight is is a bit optimistic. Yeah, you might well get some the eight year olds that can play this. My son is eight. I'm not sure he would understand mm. fully on this one. The colours would be easy enough for him to understand, and, and he'd understand putting them in the right places, but he wouldn't understand the scoring mechanism, for example. Of, yeah. Oh, I score this points, but also these, these, and these, yeah. and I get these at the end. I'm not sure he would understand that fully. So yeah, I would agree. T- 10, 10. 10 or 12, maybe, on this one. Uh, the playtime that it quotes, I would agree I, with. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. 30, 30 to 45 minutes is yeah. easily enough time to, for, to whack out a game of this. Yeah. Uh, you have played games 
with four players and two players, James. How well does it scale? Uh, it scales very well. Uh, it is a different game, though. I would mm-hmm. say at, at four at the full player count, it's a a lot more fast paced. Fast paced, though. It's a fast paced and vicious. Yeah, because yeah. you you need to get those tiles quickly. At two players, it's almost chess like. It's a very slow strategic game yes. about try basically trying to outfox the other player yeah I, I would agree on that one i i out of choice i think i actually prefer this at two player uh just because it, it just enables me to be a bit more strategic yeah uh but at the same time i prefer how quickly the tiles are recycled in a higher yeah. player game well, that's one of the reasons why a two and two players it's a lot more strategic because yes. i mean we only reset once yeah, in the entire game, basically for the last turn, we managed to to reset there. Yeah, so, so there's a lot more of remembering what colours, yeah. you know, because there's only a certain amount of colour. Like, you know, for example, pretty much through bad uh, bag shaking, all the whites yeah. came out in the first two turns. Yeah, yeah So exactly. it's just like, well, we can write off any of those tiles in the yeah. future turns because they've all come out now. Exactly. So I would say the op- the optimum player count on this is probably three because yeah. you get the best of both on that who would i recommend it for again yeah i'm the same as you i would say families but not too young is it uh, an, a gateway game mm, not as much of a gateway game as the original no. but it's also not the next level I w- it's not gateway but it's not gateway plus it's in that yeah. sort of middle ground if you've played us all you can play this if you've not played us all I'd probably say play us all first and then play this. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I like it. I, yeah. I do like it. It's a nice, easy game for me to break out. I can teach it easily. And a lot of people seem to really enjoy it. You know, it's a, it's probably still a bit too on the, the lightweight side for me personally. However, I do enjoy it. I do have fun. It does give me a little bit to think about. It's not like a mind-numbing game for me. Mm. So, James, are you ready to give it a Meeple rating? I am. What is your maple rating for Azul Stained Glass of Sintra? I'm going to give this one an 8. An 8? Okay. Do you remember what you gave the original? A 7. Okay. So you think it's worth a whole extra point? I do think it's worth a whole extra point. I don't have any complaints about the quality, uh, and I did uh, on the original. So Mm -hmm. there's half a point. Half a point for basically having good quality components. Yep. Yep. And half a point for that extra level of gameplay. Okay. Yeah, nice. That's very, very fair. I am also going to up it because I originally gave it a seven as well. However, I'm not going to be quite as generous as yourself. I'm going to go for seven and a half. The half is definitely a combination, as you as you've said, of the extra quality. And there's a little bit, a little bit extra there for me to to think about. It gives my mind a little bit more to work on, but not quite enough for me to go. It's worth half a point. So yeah, I, I would agree with you. Just I'm not quite as generous. So seven and a half for me. An eight for me. And an eight for you. Excellent. So that is Azul, Stained Glass of Sintra. Number two out of the three that are currently available. And obviously we know that number four is on the horizon. Hopefully should be out here in the UK in April. So you can expect to probably get our game highlight for Summer Pavilion before that. Uh, and as soon as that comes out, we are going to be getting that one and bringing that to the table as well. So have any of you guys played Stained Glass of Sintra? Have you played the original? What did you think between the two? Which one did you prefer? Let us know on any of our social media platforms. 
Links to that and our Discord server will be in the podcast description. But short of that, James, I think it's time to hand over to the man in the news shed for another week of our news. Indeed. Over to you, Paul. Oh, hi, Brian. Sorry, what are you up to? Oh, okay. We do need to be accurate in the information we give out, so cheers. Those guys been given the recognition yet? No. I tell you what, if Norris McWhirter was still here, he'd have that record updated a darn sight quicker than that. What's that? You found some other weird world records? Go on then. Okay, world's most expensive board game. Um, Is it Marvel Zombicide by Simon? Yeah, well, they're getting damn close. But what's the answer? Outrage. Steal the Crown Jewels Deluxe Edition. Okay. And how much is that going for, then? What? 19 grand? Well, you can certainly strike that off your birthday list. I don't care if it's got real jewels in it. Right, on with the news. You know what to do. Hit it. The festival, Internationale de Jour, or FIJ as it's known, is set to be held in the French city of Cannes towards the end of February, and has just announced the nominees for the 2022 Asdor, or France's Game of the Year award. For 2022, the now nine-member jury has added a new category to its standard three, of children's, expert, and game for everyone with this new category being entitled Initi, or Initiated, a category seemingly for games that are somewhat more involved than the everyone choices, but not quite as involved as the expert choices. So the nominees for the children's category are Bubble Stories by Matthew Dunstan and produced by Blue Orange Games, My First Castle Panic by Justin DeWitt and produced by Fireside Games, or if you're in France, it's by Space Cow, and Pin Pon by Julie Brigeot and produced by Jekko. The Game for Everyone nominees are Seven Wonders Architects by Anton Bowser and produced by Repos Productions, Carta Ventura, La Haza by Thomas Dupont and Arnold Lagd... I do really apologise for all these pronunciations. Arnold Ladaginus and produced by Blam. And Happy City by Aru and Toshika Sato, and produced by Cocktail Games. And the new initiated category nominees are Living Forest by Asuka Christensen, and produced by Ludonetta, Nouvelles Contros by Germaine Winzenstar, and produced by Olibrius Editions, and Oltre by Antoine Bowser, John Grumpf, and produced by Studio H. Hopefully these are a bit easier. And the expert nominees are Dune Imperium by Paul Denon and produced by Direwolf. IKI by Kuta Yamada and produced by Sorry We Are French. And Lost Ruins of Arnak by Elwyn Min and produced by Czech Games Edition. The winners will be announced on February the 24th, 2022 
just ahead of the FIJ 2022 Game Fair in Cairns, assuming that that fair opens as normal. In any case, should you not be in Cairns, as is the case for most of us, you can watch the ceremony over on their Facebook page. And again, I do really apologise for the bad pronunciations of most of those words. Next up. Publisher Pretzel Games doesn't release games too frequently, but when it does, those titles tend to come with a huge production value, and its latest title certainly maintains that legacy. Yak, a design from Michael Liu, is for 2-4 players, and believe me when I say I can't for the life of me see how all those components on show actually fit inside the box. It must be a TARDIS. In Yak, the village elder has given you and others the task of constructing a great stone tower to guide the merchants and their yaks in the Himalayas. Each turn, a yak pulls its cart into your village. Will you find the stones for your tower or food for your reserves, or will you need to visit the market to find what you need? Over the course of the game, each player builds their own stone tower by acquiring stones from the visiting merchants. You start the game with one good of each food type, meat, milk and bread, and three cards in hand, build, restock and market. Three or four carts being pulled by yaks start on the game board, with each player having one cart in front of them and each cart containing three stones and some food. Each cart though has a restriction on it though. For example, the no bread yak, because he's gluten free apparently. On a turn, each player chooses a card in hand, then reveals them simultaneously, starting with whoever holds the baby yak token. Players then take turns in order. You get to build, which lets you spend food to buy stones from that cart. Or restock, allowing you to take all the food of one type from that cart in front of you and adding it to your reserves, and then you add a stone to the cart. Or market, where you take two food items of your choice from the market before drawing three stones from the bag, placing one in a cart and returning the other two to the bag. The stones come in eight colours, not including the wild crystal stones and indeed fog stones, which actually reverse the flow of the yaks and their merchants. Once someone completes the fourth level of their tower, the round is completed, followed by an additional round before your tower gets scored. Points are scored for groups of the same colour within your wall, with a player with the most points taking victory. Yak is set to be released sometime in the first half of 2022, and we still don't have a retail price on it yet. But do go online, check out the images of the game, because there's a diddy baby Yak as the first player marker. Pretzel Games, you've done it again. We here at Meeple Minded are all up for people doing their part for mental health charities, including those helping funding research into cognitive decline, but even we might be a bit hard pushed to play board games for 85 hours straight, let alone just one. But that hasn't stopped four people attempting a world record by playing Dune, the board game, for over 85 hours to raise money for Alzheimer's research. Leah Paul, Dale Paul, Adam Bircher and Luke DeWitt Vine came together to play the movie board game, with the goal of surpassing the previous Guinness World Record, which had been set by a group in the Netherlands in January 2017 for just over 80 hours. The conditions for setting the record meant that the group could gain 5 minutes of break time for every hour they played, with the players relying on snacks throughout the challenge 
rather than having entire meals. A total of 79 games of June were played over the course of the 85-hour session, with their group deciding to finish their final game even when they had successfully reached their goal. An audience gathered to watch the group play, both in person and online, with the four players encouraging onlookers to donate to Alzheimer's Research UK, a charity that's dedicated to investigating the causes of Alzheimer's and dementia, with the aim of providing life-changing treatment to people suffering from both by 2025. The group chose to raise money for Alzheimer's Research UK since Leah and Dale Poole's father has the condition himself, with the team successfully fundraising around £1,000 for the charity, alongside Herefordshire Mind, a local mental health non-for-profit organisation. Dune was originally published by Avalon Hill back in 1979, before receiving a remake in 2019 by Gale Force 9. The Guinness Book of World Records is yet to officially confirm if Leah, Dale, Adam and Luke's attempt to set a new world record for the officially titled Longest Marathon playing a board game. And we're heading on over to crowdfunding now. And first up this week on Kickstarter is Le Granger Deluxe Master Set by Board and Dice. It's for 1-4 to four players takes 90 to 120 minutes to complete, is for 14 years and over, and the project ends on Friday of February the 11th. Le Granger Deluxe Master Set is an upgraded and expanded version of the 2014 game Le Granger, in which 1-4 to four players manage small farms. The players must carefully consider the decisions of which dice to draft, which cards to play, when and where to deliver goods to various markets, and how best to utilise the flexible powers afforded by several anytime actions. The multi-use cards offer four different options for players to choose from. Decide you want to use the card as an extension to your fields, increasing your ability to grow olives, grain or grapes. As an extension to your farm, increasing your number of pigs you can house, the deliveries you can make or the coins you will earn each round. As a market barrow, providing a personal contract you can fulfil for valuable rewards, or as a hired helper, each providing a unique and powerful ability to improve your actions. But you don't want to know that nonsense, you just want to know what makes this version better than the original. While Lagrange Deluxe Master Set re-implements the beloved original game, it also adds a lot of never-before-seen content including modular expansion content designed by Michael Keller and Andreas Odehala themselves. You get an additional expansion modules, which have been signed by Stephen Feld, Adam Kowinski and Andrea Novak. Many others have also participated in designing promo cards for Le Granger Deluxe Master Set, including Tony Boydale, Mike Murphy and David Waybright. This Deluxe Master Set features brand new artwork, redesigned multi-layer player boards, high-quality upgraded components, metal coins, and more. And wait till you hear of the Lagranda Pledge. Lagranda Pledge gets you the updated base game with all unlocked stretch goals during the campaign for £67 or $89. Failing that, you can go all out and get the Granda Pledge, which firstly means you're going to need a bigger table, as the base game ships with a complete set of oversized game boards and components, all verging on about 30% larger than those in the base set, and that's going to set you back £127 or $169. 
Uh, next up on Kickstarter is Hens by Little Rocket Games. It's for two to four players. It's only going to take you 20 minutes to play, and it's for 10 years and over. And it ends on Tuesday, February the 22nd. Hens is a puzzly abstract card game of hen breeding. In Hens, you are a hen breeder. Each round you will play a hen card from your hand, trying to create a harmonious barnyard with different hen breeds. The rules to place your cards are a few and simple, but the difficulty will be on making large groups of hens of the same breed. At the end of the game, we gain points from your largest group of hens of the same breed in your barnyard, from your rooster token and from your gold card. Don't forget, some rare hens give you medals worth points as well. The hens breeder with the best barnyard wins. And a copy of hens is only going to set you back £13 or €15. Euros, or alternatively, grab the print and play for just £5 or €5. Euros. And lastly on Kickstarter this week is Jiang Nan, Life of Gentry, Moideas Games Design. 1 to 4 players, 60 to 90 minutes, 13 years and over, and Friday, February the 25th. It's the height of the Ming Dynasty. Literati, artists, hike and sail across the land searching for inspiration to compose the greatest works of the age. Those seeking the greatest fame present their work at the capital city of Nanking. However, aristocracy is fickle. Will you follow the latest trends or will you start them? Jing Nan Life of Gentry is a worker placement and action tile bag building game for one to four players. Jiang Nan can be played as a single scenario or through multiple campaigns. Players are literati and artisans of the elite gentry class living in Jiang Nan, the prosperous region to the south of the Quinhai River, and are highly skilled in literature, calligraphy, brush painting and the musical and performing arts. But you'll need the skills of bureaucracy to drive and guide aristocracy to involve your work from today's latest trend to an everlasting classic to be sung and studied for thousands of years. The first pledge is for £49 or $65 and that will get you the retail version of the game along with any applicable stretch goals. £67 or $89 gets you the deluxe Kickstarter edition with any applicable stretch goals announced during the campaign. Or go all in for £104 or $139 which will grab you the deluxe version of the game. Alongside a custom wooden insert, neoprene playmat, a playmat bag and obviously all unlocked stretch goals. And we're heading on over to events now. And first up from myself and Mid-Sussex Meeples, a huge thank you to all who attended our event back on the 23rd. And from Abby, for those that attended her event this past weekend. It was great to see some new faces and even better seeing returning regulars. Talking of game days, Alan and the Dungeon Crawley crew have announced their first game day this year for those interested. The day is set for Sunday the 20th of February from 10 through till 6, with their location being the 1st Langley Scout Group, 34 Lark Rise, Crawley, RH11, 7QQ. It's just £5 a head for the day with tea and coffee on tap. And just a heads up that Mid-Sussex Meeples will also be back in action the week after on the Sunday 27th of February, with the long-awaited return of my mother, brother, and along with my niece's first visit. 
and we're heading on over to the weeklies and Wednesdays has Crawley Gaming Community being hosted at the comic shop in Crawley. They tend to gather from 6ish onwards until closed and £5 for the evening with plenty of snacks, drinks and even pizza for purchase if that's what you wish. And they're going to be joined on Wednesdays, albeit once a fortnight, by Brighton Board Game hosting board games at the barn. Anthony and Charlie would like to welcome people to the barn from 7pm through to 11pm for just £2 per head for members, but your first visit is always free. The address is The Barn, West Dean Green, Dean Vale, Brighton, BN15ED. Like I said, it's run fortnightly, with the group running on the 2nd of February and fortnightly from there on. So pop on over to the socials for up-to-date information. Thursdays, as always, sees three groups running in the form of Worthing Board Gamers, down at the Ardington Hotel in Worthing from 7pm. Dave would love to see you over in Lewis with Lewis Board Game Club at the Trinity Gaming Cafe from 7 through to 11. Jake and Chris would like to welcome you to Dyson Drinks in Burgess Hill for their Thursday evening social. Entry is just £5 for the evening there with refreshments available for purchase in the shop. And Mondays is Crawley Gaming Club over at Tilgate Community Centre in Crawley running from 7pm for just £3 per person with board gaming, war gaming and some TCGs if you fancy it. As always, stay posted to the socials just in case anything changes last moment. So, Brian, any more records I should know about? <coughs> Largest collection. Okay, go for it. <coughs> 1,531. Doesn't seem a lot. I'm wondering if some of those are Monopoly. Surely you can't count them separately. <coughs> oh, it was set back in 2011, was it? Well, I suppose that's something to aspire to. Better start collecting then. On that note, say goodbye to everyone. And it's a goodbye from me. Keep safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling. The cards shuffling. And we'll be right here for you next week. Thank you very much for that, Paul. And thank you guys for joining us once again for another episode of The Meeple Minded. This week we were talking about Azul Stained Glass of Sintra. James, how do you think it went? Uh, I think we did well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean... What you guys have heard will will sound like a, a pretty normal episode, but I think if we're honest, we've not had the best time recording this, have we, James? No, we haven't. You know, I I don't pity you with the editing of this. One. No, no, there, there's a fair bit of editing to do to this one. I've uh, due to various gaming commitments that I've had over the past week, and the fact that I've been working extra hours, I stupidly didn't prepare my bullet point notes like I usually have. And yeah, I was messing up a fair bit and that was causing James to laugh and therefore he was messing up as well. So yeah, great fun had in this one. Yep. But all joking aside, the game was very, very good. We hope that it's not been too unbearable. But <laughs> <laughs> Nah. What what really happened is we've, we've played a couple of games right before podcasting and it's just trained our brains. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good, th- that's a very good point that, James. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll stick with that one. I think we should go and drain our brains just a little bit more, though. Time to go and get some games. Although I think maybe some coffee first. Coffee. Coffee, then more games. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. We will see you next week for more. But until then, my name has been Jason. And I've been James. And you've been listening to the Meeple Minded Podcast. Ta-ta for now. See you next week for more tabletop gaming goodness. Goodbye.